Welcome to Yellow Mensa, exploring cross-centered contextual justice in the South African context. Yellow Mensa is a ministry of East Mambano, Center for Biblical Justice. I am your host, David Kluter, and with me is John Skippers, my friend, my brother. The claim that white farmers are being disproportionately murdered and tortured in in racially and politically motivated attacks uh, designed to intimidate white farmers and drive them off their lands has over the over the last couple of years become increasingly vocal and attracted larger and larger numbers of followers yes that's the conversation we want to have today i know it's a, it's a sensitive conversation it's a touchy conversation uh, some of you may have families uh, who are uh, victims of of these crimes some of you may know family maybe maybe in churches you you, you are familiar with people who who have suffered as a consequence of what's happening on on farms. Um, yeah. Off the bat, we want to acknowledge that this is a really, really sensitive, it's a personal issue. And I think it's what the president said, it affects all of us in, in a very significant way. But let's frame the conversation a little bit. So in October 2020, predominantly white protesters uh, stormed, uh, and I'm sure you guys saw this in the news, Senegal uh, Magistrates Court, uh, where two suspects uh, in the murder of a farm manager by the name of Brandon Warner, uh, were being held. A police vehicle was overturned and set on fire during the protest. Uh, again, in October 2017, after the murder of a clubman's farmer, Jobert Conradi, uh, a protest known as uh, Black Monday was held on the 30th of October 2017, during which a convoy of cars and trucks blocked the N1 on its way from Stellenbosch to Cape Town. The protest uh, attracted nearly, I mean, it's estimated uh, 10,000 people attended. While again in April 2017, one of the largest ever prayer gatherings was held in Bloemfontein in response to a spate of violent attacks on farmers uh, in February of that year. Uh, even even from, from Donald Trump's side in August 2018 and his famous tweets about the large-scale uh, killings of, of farmers, while Fox News host Tucker Carlson similarly claimed that hundreds of white farmers have been killed um, in recent years in a spate of racist violence. So here's the first question. Is there, John, is there a genocide happening against white farmers in South Africa? Sure. This is is a complex question in some ways um, because we're asking a question, but there's also a whole lot of other questions behind that question. I think I want to start with what you've already intimated, and I think we, we want to say is that all murders, mm. all destruction, all, all, all rapes, all attacks which, which desecrate, which, which diminish the image of God in people are abhorrent. And we condemn because we are in no yeah. way yeah. saying we want to be condoning any attacks or murders that have happened on farms. Whatever else we say, you may disagree or agree with us, do not hear us saying that we're condoning that. So I'm giving you a long preamble. That, that, that's, that's it. When, that's when yeah. you know that things are, are, are difficult questions to answer. Because in one sense, the answer to this question is very simple. But it's not the answer to the question. It's all yeah. the other questions around it. So, so, is, is, so is there a, a mm. genocide happening mm. against white farmers in South Africa? I think the simple answer is no, there is not. The statistics mm. just do not weigh that up. So in 2019, for instance, there were 21,022 murders in South Africa. These are the South African Police Service's statistics. Of those, only 57 were farm murders. That's a significant number, but only 57 out of 21,022 murders. That's 
less than 0.3% of murders in South Africa are farm murders. The stats do not equal a genocide. They do not even seem to equal a growth in farm murders. Probably it does seem to indicate a growth in farm attacks, but that's not necessarily related to genocide. That there could be other factors involved. But in terms of farm murders, yeah. in fact, it seems murders. to be that there's been a decline since a high point of farm attacks and murders in around the 2000s and the late 1990s. It actually seems to have declined in terms of murders, in terms of killing of white farmers. The other problem with the statistics is those statistics are really hard to measure. 2019 statistics says 57 farm murders. Who are these people that are being murdered? And the problem is that it doesn't differentiate between farm owners, between farm managers, against farm workers. In fact, it looks like at least a third of those who have been killed in farm attacks out of that 57 were, were farm workers, who were black farm workers. Now, those, that's also a tragedy, but it doesn't seem to point towards a specific focus attack or genocide, is the words it's used, against white farmers. Those farm murders can even include visitors to farms. But it can even equal incidents of, of a murder between farmers. So if two neighboring farmers have a dispute about land or money or women or who knows what, and one shoots another one, that is also encompassed in the farm murder statistic. There's a lot of variables in yeah. it. And so even the numbers that are given can probably be tempered down at less than 57 white farmers that are murdered. Defining what 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 is classified under farm as well is that those those farm attacks and farm murders include small holdings, so those are not necessarily commercial farms, uh, and so it's not necessarily only farms. It oh, also well. includes mm. small holdings, which may or may not have some kind of produce on them. You wouldn't necessarily call a small holding necessarily a farmer. There's all these kinds of variables. They're still awful crimes, but is there a genocide? I want to suggest the stats do not play into that. I, I want to I wanna echo that as well. Most of you would have read uh, our president's address. And I'm just going to read a line from what he was saying, President Ramaphosa. He's saying, the claim that violent crime on farms is part of an orchestrated campaign by blacks to drive white farmers off their land is simply not, it's not borne out by fact. And that is coming from, you know, the highest office in the land. So if we're talking, if we're talking facts, if we're saying genocide, it, it just doesn't seem to indicate that. The stats doesn't seem to indicate that. The credible voices in the conversation doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to indicate that. Somebody is clearly pushing the conversation. And that's, that's, if, if, if it's not the case right. that there is a genocide happening, and I want to stress the word a genocide happening, it doesn't mean to say that there's not farm murders happening. We, we want to separate or differentiate between those two conversations. Yes. And so once we have that conversation, then we must talk about not just about white farmers. Mm. If we're talking about farm murders, then we need to talk about all farms. People of color may not own uh, the majority of, of farming land. Or, and that's another debate. People of color in South Africa don't particularly own uh, much of farming land. The, the reality is there are attacks happening against black farmers as well, which is which is heavily problematic. But if that's the case, then we can we be talking about a, a genocide against white farmers uh, and that they're specifically yeah. being targeted. And yeah. if we do want to talk about that, then we need to remove those farmers from the statistics list because they clearly don't count into the narrative that's been told about the 
So then we find the statistics might even drop further. They're still going to be at unacceptable levels, but depending what conversation you're trying to have, what narrative you're trying to tell, you have, you are, you have to have the right statistics to back up your narrative. And I think there's, there's yeah. been a lot of statistical manipulation. And I think, again, it's, it's, it's important to say that at this point, because I can, I can hear somebody objecting, is it seems like you are, you know, with the Black Lives Matter conversation, you're throwing an all lives matter at us. Mm. First of all, this is not that conversation. The conversation at this moment is the question of whether there is a genocide yes. on white farmers happening. Mm. That's what we're trying to address. And we're saying that since there's not, we should be having the conversation on, but farmers are being affected. Absolutely. And so let us have that conversation instead of the genocide conversation. That means it doesn't. Yeah. It's a different conversation, and it's saying that farmers' lives matter. Mm -hmm. But but who is then having the conversation, mm -hmm. and where do they get their stats? The the narrative of a white genocide is not a new conversation. Uh, it's a conversation that the known white supremacist groups have been having for years and years and years, and it can be linked to issues of immigration. It can be linked to all kinds of issues as well that are wider than this. And the idea is that, for instance, if we want to think about you know, Middle Eastern immigrants are just waiting for the opportunity to rise up and murder white people, and that's why you mustn't let them into Europe. That kind of conversation is going around. This, this white genocide, this white people are in danger, has been going around for a long time. And, and that's happening outside of South Africa. But when you have these groups going around, this narrative of what's happening with to white farmers has been picked up by those kind of groups. And we need to be honest that some South African groups who maybe wouldn't even subscribe to everything that some of those white supremacist groups are saying, they are playing to that audience at the very least. They may subscribe to everything. I don't know them personally. They are playing into that narrative. They are allowing the, these, these people, people who are known uh, right-wing white supremacists. You know, we talk about people like Katie Hopkins, who's been caught on camera saying awful things, is a fierce proponent of the white genocide narrative, uh, particularly against white farmers. These are the kind of people who've been promoting it. And, and we have people like Afri Forum going to the States and actually courting and spending time and speaking to some of these, these right-wing groups for whom there is a political, there is an ideological benefit from this narrative being true so that they can back up their own cause. So I want, I want to suggest that yeah. at the very least, farmers who are being, and, and their families and victims of violent crimes are being used by these supremacist groups to, to further their own narrative, to further their own ideological concern. Now, I want to say that everyone who shares something on Facebook is not necessarily subscribing to their white supremacist narrative. But this is how successful their, their advertising and their narrative has been, that they have sold the myth of, of a genocide. And that's why I feel so strongly that we need to dismantle this narrative of genocide and of supremacy so that we can actually have the real conversation about real people yeah, who the, are the being The real endangered. conversation. The real conversation about real yeah. people are being endangered. As you said, John, there's a lot of people who are sharing the media. They've been pushing almost any incident that's been happening on farms and they've been pushing it mainstream. And it just feeds into this narrative as if there's this, this is happening all the time and it's just, it's a real concern that, that, that this is happening. But our media is not being helpful as well. Now, they may not say the words genocide, but this thing being constantly front and center in your, in your news feeds on social media, it certainly then gives that impression against the stats. I know as Africans, we are fearless. 
and we feel deeply about certain things. And and I can I hear a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion. It's 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 often pitched at at an emotional pitch. You know, when we have the conversation on this conversation on farm owners, we want to just look at look at the facts. And so your emotions and your and your hurt and your feelings are not dismissed. So second question, is there not reasonable evidence to suggest that farm murders are polit- politically motivated? You know, one, one of the key questions, and I think this is like one of the things you always get to find in terms is how do you define politics, right? So if politics, and, and usually by Julius this, Malema. Yeah, but I mean, I'm saying usually that's what they mean by Julius Malema. Uh, and the EFF is what yeah. we mean by politically motivated, depending how politics. how much you brought in, perhaps even the ANC and Cyril Ramaphosa and... So I would say there's definitely a political element in this, but perhaps not the one we're thinking of. And so often we, we refer to Julius Malema singing Kill, Kill the Farmer, Kill the Bull, which was a struggle song, uh, which, is, which has board. a long history, which yeah. actually probably in its context probably more means destroy the system. Remember as well that Julius Malema has not sung that song since 2010, 2011, something like that, when the Constitutional Court ruled that he didn't see actually any provocation from either the song all the singers of the song, in order to kill farmers, they still ruled it as hate speech and banned him from singing it. And so that song has not been sung for about 10 years. It has not been used on political platforms. It cannot. Um, if, if it had been, yeah. there would have been court cases about it. I, I think we've got to say the EFF's rhetoric, the EFF's political stand, can be very intimidating and very scary to white people. That does not mean that they are promoting farm murders. I think we actually can't find very, we cannot find any evidence. And, and this is, it's got to go on evidence. I know we can talk about hearsay. I know we can talk about how we feel. I know we can talk about that, that the rhetoric makes us feel uncomfortable possibly. And, and I want to talk to that in a minute. But the evidence is there's, there's no evidence that the EFF or Julius Malema is condoning or encouraging people in order to, to attack white farmers. Could we say that possibly mm. that at times they might have been irresponsible with their words and allowing other yeah. people to think of other things and stir up some kind of hatred or some kind of uh, dissatisfaction that, that might lead others to interpret their words? I think you could probably make a case for that. But being irresponsible is also different from a deliberate motivation. So I, I want to say I don't think there is politically motivated. In fact, uh, Johan Berger, who's been investigating farm murders for about 30 years, said he has never been able to find a single case of a specifically isolated, politically motivated, I did this because this farmer is white and we want to drive him off their land. Um, that doesn't mean they aren't there, but if they are, it means that it's very exceptional. Most farm murders, it seems the same, sure. are not happening in order to further a particular party political agenda. And, and I think that's where the evidence leads us. And again, I want to echo what President Ramaphosa was saying. And he was saying that... Uh, that these things are opportunistic um, mm. at best. People are vulnerable because they're in farms. They are easy yep. targets. They're exactly. away from security. They're away from, from, from all the services that you and I readily have at our disposal by just mm-hmm. picking up a phone call and saying, police, this such and such is happening or has happened. Well, we have and neighbors. reasonably can expect, we have neighbors. That, that, that's, that's the thing. And so we talk about motivation. That's probably behind it. And I want to broaden this idea of political. And so, mm. and so if you want to have political, you're talking in it politically in its broader sense. You're talking about how society has been structured, uh, how society has been set up, uh, what institutions are available, what institutions right. are not available. 
then we can have probably a political conversation mm. um, uh, in saying that you know we need to think about what is what is what does policing look what is aiding farmers look like in that sense and and making it a political conversation and saying the 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 government needs to come alongside in terms of infrastructure and helping the the farmers just just have services available security and those kind of things that will aid them in 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 the event that something like this happens yeah i think i want i want to push a little bit further on the political side as well the inequality in our country and particularly in rural areas it can be so profound the inequality is very real and given the the fact that our economy has been struggling for a few years and and I'm worried actually about what's going to happen post covid as well people are desperate people are hungry people are needing to provide for their kids and so in that case you're desperate you perhaps you're angry because actually nothing has changed since 1994 you're still hungry you're still desperate you still don't have a job you decide you need to take matters into your own hands who who are you going to attack are you going to attack those who are perceived as having wealth or perhaps those who do have wealth and the reality is that but because of 90 because of apartheid and because we haven't undone we haven't changed the the legacy of apartheid the structural economic legacy of apartheid those people are still white so yes white farmers possibly yeah. are being attacked it's, it's not not because they're white but it's not people aren't saying let's get the white man people in a sense people are saying we need to get the rich man who's the rich man the rich man's the white man Uh, the person who has taken our land, the person who is yeah. who, the reason we are struggling is also because of white people, and so it's not per mm. se about wiping out white people. It's actually about getting money, getting access. It, it's a desperation. The vast majority of farm attacks are about theft, things that can easily be disposed of. That seems to indicate yeah. a desperation. That indicates that people who it, it's not politically motivated. It's it, it's materially motivated. It's, it's rising up. from the vast poverty and inequality that we're oh. seeing in our rural areas and that is yeah. a result primary initially and primarily of pre-1994 structures not being changed and not and yeah. the poverty and yep. land acts i mean these these yeah. kind of things play into that now i don't want anyone to hear me so i just want to, i just want to make another caveat we're not yeah. saying that because of that anyone deserves to be raped or murdered or tortured we're just to say but we're trying to yeah. talk about why are these happening and i think that we need to look at that as an underlying factor it still doesn't make it okay because you know what you know what for me john is the problem what this does if the narrative is is framed the way it's been framed um it does create further racial tension and divide and hostility and disunity not just outside the church but inside the church mm-hmm. where the conversation is being pitched yeah and how the conversation is being had what we say at the moment we want to be we want to be honest about the, the statistics about the facts about what's happening but that is so that we can actually have the proper conversation within its appropriate context yeah and we cannot run away from our political context yeah in what has led us to this moment in terms of where we are as a people which has made something that is that should make us all grieve very deeply at at the thought and at the sight of people being murdered um it's making it a racial issue yeah. and and that should break our hearts more because not more but it should break our hearts as well our hearts as well because um it distracts so much from us actually getting down to the work mm-hmm. and us being informed about what's happening so that we can be our brother's keeper 
it's only a racial issue because we're actually not dealing with the bigger racial issue. So it's not, yep. it's not racial as such. The problem is we have a racial issue and this is issue that, yeah. that is around economic inequality. And so because this is an issue very often of opportunity, of, uh, of vulnerability, of economic gain, of desperation. So those are economic issues. Those are economic crime issues. Therefore, very, therefore it, it is racial because we have such a divided eco economy along racial lines. So race does play in the, oh, the way we sense. think about yeah. it. So another side to this conversation about what's fueling it, what's behind it is, is it not fair to suggest that all the talk about expropriation of land without compensation and giving back the land, are those things not fuel for the fire that, that's, that's causing farmers in, in recent years? I think this is hard. I mean, obviously, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And so I think if you particularly be living in a rural area mm -hmm. and you are poor and you haven't seen anything change and you're still experiencing the same levels of inequality and oppression that you have, that you were pre-1994, I'm not saying that can't play into your mental state. Yeah. But what's interesting is that no farm murder or attack has been claimed with this motivation. And I'm just thinking if, if that's your motivation, if your motivation is to get the land back, and to show the white man or to scare him away, wouldn't you use that narrative? Wouldn't you tell him what that's what you were doing because you want to scare him? If I want to intimidate someone, I, I want them to know they're being intimidated. But nothing of the sort has been said. No political parties are taking credit for this. It doesn't measure up. No, no, no farm murder or attack has been claimed with this motivation in the majority of, of attacks on farms. Theft is the, the overwhelming crime that's committed. Again, I think why many of these guys are, the guys who are saying that it's, it's, that it's a genocide is probably motivated by that reason, expropriation of land. And that's another conversation, a national conversation. But I just fear that people who are motivated by that fear might be having this conversation on this level as well. These murders and attacks are being used to fuel an unwillingness to undo the legacy of apartheid. We want things to change. We perhaps even want a reconciliation. We want to admit we're sorry without giving anything up. I mean, the, the statistics are clear. 70% of farmers in South Africa are white people. That means they're owning significant amount of land. And they are less than 9% of the population. Yeah. We are less than 9% of the population. So how do we say sorry? How do we yeah. do reconciliation? How do we undo the legacy of apartheid where there is not land reform? Now, I don't have all the details. I'm not, I'm not an expert on land reform. I don't know the best way to do it. But there's got to be some kind of expropriation. There's got to be some kind of swap over. And it's not happening. And because it's not happening, not even a direct link, more than indirect link, a causal link, if you can say that, because it's not happening, inequality continues. Because inequality continues, desperation continues, and we have these, these, these crimes that occur. But I think even at this point, it's helpful to say that those kind of crimes those kind of violent crimes are not just happening on farms. They're happening wherever inequality is present. And in fact, the, all the statistics seem to indicate they're happening more in urban areas, in townships, uh, in Cape Flats areas, in suburban areas than on farms. Underlying this all is a failure to, to deal with inequality. And it's, it's coming up in a number of ways, which we do need to acknowledge and, and are significant. So is it about expropriation? Well, maybe if we did land reform, we wouldn't have be having the expropriation of our compensation conversation. 
but maybe also we'll be having less frustration, less, less violence. I don't know if we want to speak a little bit about, um, you know, the brutality of our murders, some of which involving rape and torture. How accurate is this when we talk about brutality in the context of South African farmers? So I want to say, first off the bat, I want to say that I think anything that violates the image of God in any way, it should break our hearts. Amen. Us violating the law of God, us going against God, us turning our backs on him and doing evil deeds in whatever shape or form, that broke God the Father's heart so much. that If you read Isaiah about the suffering servant, about what Jesus deserved because of what we have done and we deserve, not Jesus deserved, but we deserve and what he has taken upon us. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah talks about he was so transfigured. He was a man uh, nobody was despised. Nobody wants to look upon him. And that image is 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 a, is a brutal image. It's an image that 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 God says this is this is effectively what what we deserve for for what we've done. And God so. is so grieved by that. And and when I think about brutality, when I think about, I'm always having the cross inside, but I'm always also having the this, the this, the injustice done to God and His mm. image and what we have done by our acts of. Of, of injustice, our sinfulness, our sinful nature, our sinful behavior against other people. And it's sometimes, it, it, some of us, scripture says that we, by nature, enemies of God and that we are by nature objects of his wrath. And some of us may not have committed brutal crime. Mm-hmm. It, it comes back to the, this idea that it's, it should just break our hearts, the thought of somebody has died at the hands of another person and that that is an unjust act and that yeah. break, it breaks God's heart. It, it is. It is absolutely just not okay as a, as a believer, as a Christian, that we cannot. There's no way we can stand for that. Yeah. So that for me is the first inroad, and so that should motivate us to to even talk more about what is happening on farms. Yeah. How accurate is 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 that uh, claim? I think it's the statistics I can read, and and this includes Afri Forum's own statistics. It seems to be that majority, the overwhelming majority of farm Attacks and murders are are not particularly brutal. They don't involve torture. They don't involve rape. It's probably ninety percent of the attacks are about theft uh, and do not involve the kind of brutality that some of these high-profile cases have got. I think what we can say is that a few do, and some are particularly horrific. Um, and some high-profile cases are used repeatedly to imply that all attacks are the same kind level of brutality. And I think that's just not true. Even Afri Forum, their own statistics seem to indicate the overwhelming majority of attacks are not particularly brutal involving torture and rape. And are those statistics out of proportion with the rest of the country? And I don't think they are. We have an absolutely, we have a problem with violence and brutality in this country. People say, well, why, why would, if it's just about theft, why do they, why, why would they rape someone? That's a valid question. The problem is that doesn't just happen on farms. It happens everywhere. It happens in Cape Town. It happens in townships. It happens in the suburbs because we actually have a, a problem in South African society with violence and brutality. Are there brutal attacks on farmers? Yes, there are. But there are brutal attacks happening everywhere in South Africa. And that's the problem. Um, yeah. So I don't think they're specifically brutal in a way that it, it, it's out of proportion with with the brutality of other crime statistics. The statistics tell us we have a, a massive, massive problem with rape in our country, all over, predominantly with black women being raped. It is not inconsistent with statistics 
to expect that a proportion of, of farmer tax involve rent because that is the reality of South Africa as a whole. And I don't know if some of the, the brutality is different to the brutality we experience in other places, in the suburbs, in gang initiations. It's not inconsistent with what we see in other areas. And in fact, it's probably less than what we see in other areas. It is still horrific, but the problem is not targeted against white farmers. The problem is we have a violent crime problem in South Africa as a whole. That, I mean, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I think that was so helpful, that, that final point, in that we, we have a crime problem in South Africa. Island and we have a And we have a violent crime problem in South mm. Africa. And that, that cu cuts across the board. John, you know me, I'm a feeler. This, this stuff is just, it's <laughs> yeah. just getting to me because mm. immediately I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of so many bodies I had to walk past in the Cape Flats. Yeah. Coming from work, going home, being called, walk the other way, take the other route because you may walk past a couple of people yeah. lying in the ground because of what happened a particular a couple of hours before. And as there's multiple stories, I mean, kids can tell you about brutal yeah. crime in the Cape Flats, having seen it. It, it. It's just so difficult for me because it's, 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 it's so got so close to heart. This just, just the conversation of, of brutal murders. Mm -hmm. Cause, cause I know it's everywhere and I, and I, and I know it's, 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 it's all over the place. And again, and I'm saying this because it's close to me because I can, I can imagine a person listening to this who has had family being killed on a farm, who's had sure. friends, who's sure. been the victims yeah. of, of this kind of crime and have actually died a violent death sure. through torture. I want to sympathize with you because yeah. I, I know what that's like. It's not witnessing that. I've had family members who were, who were gunned down because they belong to gangs. And, and when you stand over that person, you stand with the family. You know what he's done. It it, it goes. It's, it's a human being lying there, and the, and the way in which the person went is not. It's not what God wants. Not even for a gangster. Yeah. And so it's it's that conversation that needs to be had. The violent crime problem that we have in this country. It opens the opportunity for us to stand in solidarity with one another, to see one another. And, and being able to cry and lament together. And this focus on white farmers actually robs us of being able to stand together, robs us of being able to be together. We, because essentially what, what they're saying is that white lives matter more, that we, we need all this attention, we need to focus on this because white lives matter more. But more black and poor people are murdered every day in this country. We can find one another even in this tragedy if we, will, if we don't allow ourselves to be used are these forces that are trying to tell us that white lives matter more because actually an injustice against anyone is an injustice so let's let's think more practically so if there's no white genocide and again that's that's where we've pitched the conversation this claim that there's a genocide against white farm farmers um, not that there is farm killings happening we are with the conversation we're saying it is a problem it is happening there are stats that are showing that Yes, but if there's no white genocide on farmers, and if farmers are one aspect of the problems of the problem of violence in South Africa, how do we go about responding to the reality of farm attacks on farmers and the very real fear that exists within farming communities? I think the first thing is that I would like to say is work hard at doing your homework, acknowledge the truth, find out what is the real situation. Don't buy into these narratives with people with alternative agendas. So don't listen to people who say, actually, there's a genocide against white farmers. 
Don't listen to people who say white farmers have what it's coming to them. Find out the truth that there are people being killed, that this is a problem, and then ask yourself questions of why. Why is this happening? Allow yourself to dig in. Allow yourself to grapple with the fact that we live in such a vastly unequal society where white lives do still seem to matter more than black lives. And that's a problem. Where, where the murders of white farmers get far more coverage in the media, far more uproar sure. about that than about people who are dying uh, in doubt. It's horrific that this young farm manager, Brendan Horner, was killed. But the statistics tell us that 57, 58 other people died on that day. We don't sure. hear about them. We have a murder problem in South Africa. Find out what the real story is. Find out how to engage with that problem. And then let that lead you to empathy and compassion as your first stop. If you're dealing with a narrative of, of white supremacy and white genocide, it's really hard to feel sympathy for the farmers. You're okay with what happened with black people. We need, yeah. we need to deal with facts. Let those facts lead you firstly to empathy and compassion. I don't think we stop there, but that ought to be our first stop. First, yeah. first stop. We see people with grace and mercy as made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and honor, and undeserving of these kind of attacks and brutality. Um, yeah. Don't only be moved by farm murders, be moved by mm. murders happening in dark, murders happening in young. Yeah. Just to add to the to the acknowledging of the truth, there's an acknowledgement of the truth that that's not just check the facts. What is actually happening on the ground? Get woke, inform yourself, be conscious about what's happening in other people's context. Race and racial justice in particular is something close to my heart. Not just because I have a concern for the psychological and uh, those implications of racism happening from white towards black, but in the Cape Flats and in the townships, I have a concern because racial justice is structural. You know, there's this black on black crime. I don't even know if South Africans are using that conversation or, yeah. or using that language. Yeah. But gangsters are made up of people of color who's hurting other people of color. And when you get into the, 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 the story behind the story of why this person joined, you, you see there's structural and, and, exactly. and systemic problems that's within the black families that have led to certain things that have caused fathers' family structures to break down that has led to so many other social problems right, right. And, 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 and structural breakdown and systemic breakdown that has led people to where they are. Which, if you trace the history of where this brokenness come from, it's come linked to our past. As a person of color, is particularly concerned about, if I should use the words of, of Paul in Romans 9, I have a concern for the people of my own race, being colored people and black people. It's coming from a gospel concern that what's happening particularly because I'm so close to what's happening there. And you as a white person might be aware of what's happening close in your community. And so we need to have a a gospel wokeness where we are concerned about what's happening across the road, where we are concerned mm -hmm. about more what's happening on the other end. Um, know what's going on in the lives of fellow South Africans mm -hmm. and then get involved. You know, when we talk about compassion, what does that look like? So when I have the conversation, I can identify so much because I know about the kind of brokenness that's in my community. Yes, I can identify with your brokenness. And so for me, it's, it's, it's that kind of awareness that we need to, so that we can mobilize and be compassionate and empathetic. I want to add to that in saying is that empathy for those who are different to us, whether you've actually experienced farmers or farm attacks, or it's just the fear of them or the worry about that. When you look at statistics and you say, what was it, 57 farm murders happened in, in 2019, 
but we had over 21,000 murders happening as a whole in South Africa. There are actually more dangerous places than living on a farm. And I, I think at the, at the moment there is a real danger living in the farm. And I think there, there has been a rise in farm attacks and we need to be concerned about it. But as horrific as that is, there are more dangerous places. To allow that empathy, allow, once you, you, you're seeing the truth and you're seeing this as part of a bigger problem of violent crime in South Africa, which is holistic, you can actually are, as shocking as it may seem to you as someone who's never grappled with he's a white person, there are even more dangerous places. And if you're feeling unsafe, if you're feeling hurt, if you're feeling violated in this place, so I say, well, what must that be like for someone in, in a more dangerous place? Why is it so bad? Acknowledging the truth, that empathy, that even something as horrific as a farm attack can lead you to have greater empathy for those have experienced similar or worse things, will then say, but why do we have this problem in South Africa? Why? And that's got to lead us to work actively to reform things structurally. Because we have not gone to the apartheid. We're still living with this inequality. We are still not our brother's keeper or our sister's keeper. We still have not figured out what it means to love our neighbor. Mm. Unless our neighbor looks like us. Love your neighbor mm -hmm. means action, and that action is God means structural as well. And my question is, is you feeling deeply about farm neighbors? What about those who live in even more dangerous places? And do the work, and you'll find that some of those dangerous places have been con particularly politically constructed and created as dangerous places. The problem that we have is proximity, not just proximity to one Come another, and on. that we are so so in our own looking at our own struggles and our own people and our own. But there's also a sense in which you know you can feel quite cut off because we're in the city center, and and so when you talk about proximity and how do we come along, farmers, I think part of us doing our work is to find out who are the groups and what are the things that government have in, enrolled and put in place that are actually putting out the right information. It's trying to find out who is doing what. Yeah, that's good. Um, what has been put in place already, and then getting down to the work. And then supporting, helping, helping lobby groups. And that's part of us doing our homework. We don't do the work without hope, though. We always got to come back to this. Uh, as as mm. horrific as it is, as terrible as it is, we, mm. we don't serve a God who's up there in heaven looking down on us and just letting us do our thing. Our God stepped down out of heaven. He took all the shame, He took the brutality, He took the violence of the Roman system of empire. If anything, symbolized empire and violence and brutality in, in that Roman empire. It, it was the cross. It was designed to do that. He took it upon himself. He died there. And in doing that, he took our sins, our violence, our brutality, both the brutality that we commit and the brutality that is done against us. The, the violence is, the, it, it is almost the antitype of the shalom of God, the peace of God, mm -hmm. the wholeness, the flourishing of God. He took all of that on so that we could know something of that shalom. And the truth is that one day we will. One day there will be no more farm attacks. There will be no more gangland killings. There will be no more rapes. There will be no more crimes. But, but here's the thing, and I think as Christians we, we need to grapple with this. That is not just a one-day thing. That kingdom has now broken in. You and I have experienced something of that shalom. We, we are part of that kingdom, that movement. And so now we ought to be people of shalom. And that goes for farmers. That goes for farm laborers, for people on the Cape Flats. We work yeah. as people of hope, knowing 
that one day these things will be renewed. And we work with a king who cares more about these things than we do. We can actually go and we can visit with farmers. We can talk to kids because we believe that God can change their hearts. We believe that God can bring shalom in their hearts and in their communities. And my question is always, is if we don't, if we see such inequality in these rural communities, where is the church? Where would God be? Well, we know. He came into Jewish Palestine. He died on a violent, brutal Roman cross. He doesn't shy away from this. He's in the midst, bringing shalom. Yeah. Powerful. So where are we? Where are we following Jesus? And I, and I like what you're saying because you're getting into this idea about theology that informs. Mm. But you see, we, we have such a one-dimensional, one-sided theology that deals with Jesus. It, it's not a Roman cross. It's the cross. As if, if God just designed the cross himself, came up with the system, and then said, this is how I'm going to liberate my people. It, as yeah. if it's just, just out of a vacuum. There was human agency. Yeah. The cross was a, was a demonic tool of a, of a system, political yeah. system, that exactly. was influenced by corrupt human beings who have been prejudiced by, by demons and, and the fall that has led to this. And we must see it for all it is. It's a system. It was a system to tell a, a group of people, not individuals, to tell a group of people how to how to stay Sounds in line. Familiar somewhere. If they if they can get an innocent man, a sinless man, on that cross, it tells you something about that system. Even though they have certain laws around it, our theology needs to work itself through that. If you think about the church, what the church can do uh, as an institution and individual Christians, I come back to this idea of once you've informed yourself, partnering with organizations that may not be Christian but are doing the work and also your short-term missionary mission mission work. Why not go to a farm? Be a witness to a local farm community, whether it's a yeah. black or white community. Go, go there and go and serve that community. Let your people be aware and know about what's the actual conversation on the ground. And don't just have the conversation with the farm. farmer. Yeah, come on, farm come on. Have it with was, the... Have have it with the farm worker so that they so that you can have a whole picture of what the complexities are of yeah. what's happening on farms. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of stuff happening, the injustices happening on farms. So it's us saying I'm gonna adopt, like we're saying, I'm gonna adopt a, a local school in my community, and we're gonna as, as a local church, yeah, we're gonna on. partner with a local police station, and we're gonna try to be a institutional change and channel information to yeah, yeah. these entities and receive information and fund these these campaigns that they run in order to, to help our communities. I'm saying, why don't we do our homework and do the same for, for farming communities? Sure, adopt the farm. Uh, and just ask them who's on the ground. How can right. we partner? How can we adopt your ministry and, and be a, a gospel witness? Our theology has got to be incarnated in place. Uh, we've got to recover mm. this need for place. And one of the places, and I want to say one of the places, and it's just because we're focusing yeah. on today, is the yeah. farm. Yeah. And, and looking at a farm holistically, farmers and farm workers. I mean, we haven't even spoken about migrant laborers and seasonal laborers and the injustices oh, there. Incarnate, live among. We want to talk about missions work. What, what does missions work look like on a farm? What does it look like to live out your faith there in communities of massive injustice? Things can't just be the same, right? We, we've got to talk about these things at policy level. We've got to talk about these things at structural level. And hopefully these Christians yeah. getting involved in that. But we also, we've got to have our feet dirty with our theology. Our theology has got to have dusty feet mm. of being on a farm in Balhaha, in Kailicha, even in Constantia. Yeah. I don't know if they have dusty streets there. But like wherever it is, in Santon, we've got to be there. And we've got to say, what is, yeah. 
what does it look like to be God's people in this place at this time? You know, and that's a call to us because it's easy to have Facebook debates about farm murders and stuff. But what does it actually mean in those communities holistically? And those communities have some horrific histories of oppression and of injustice. So what does yeah. it mean if Jesus comes into that community? Things can't stay the same, mm. right? I mean, they can't. That's yeah. not my Jesus. I don't know what Jesus that is. Uh, maybe the one who plays for Man City, but not my Jesus. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yep, yep. This has been enriching. This has been tough. This has been difficult. Mm. I, I hope you've heard our hearts. We, we may not always agree, but, but we have a Savior that has united us. Not in our agreements, but in, but in Him. He's the anchor. May, may He be visible and may He be seen. As always, we're signing out. You can follow us at Yellow Mensa on Twitter or Isabambano on Facebook, as well as on Instagram. Get involved in the conversation, in this come discussion. On. Give us your comments, and I'm sure they're going to come. Give us your feedback. Love to hear from your inbox. If you found this helpful, please share it. Please like. Again, this audio was produced by Exilic Music. You can find them at www.exilic.co.za. I'm David signing out. And I'm John saying we got work to do. <laughs> <laughs>